At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Thank you, Pastor Vince. <clears throat> Good morning, church. How many of you started playing Christmas music in the homes, in the cars? Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> it's always an argument about what is appropriate, right? How many days before Christmas is it appropriate to play Christmas music? It's a, it, well, it's an argument that's <laughs> every day of the year is good, right? <laughs> well, it happens in our house. You know, we are 11 days to Thanksgiving today, which means we're 41 days to Christmas. And regardless of when you or, well, my family will start, it's undoubtedly true that my wife and my two daughters will play the same 20 or 30 songs over and over and over again, and I will be humming the tune to some random pentatonic song uh, that's stuck in my head because, well, that's, that's what happens in my house. <clears throat> and it just, it's just going to bound to be happening. But I have to tell you, there are some beautiful songs that come out of this season that we're in. And I think the fav my favorite song, bar none, is O Holy Night. I think some of yours is as well. Let me read for you some of the, the well, let me read for you the song. Ready? Here's O Holy Night. If you know the words, you are welcome to say it with me. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees. O oh, hear the angel voices. O oh, night divine. O oh, night when Christ was born. O oh, night divine. O oh, night divine. That has to be my favorite Christmas song. But if you think about those words, there are some amazing phrases in that song. One of them is, long lay the world in sin and error pining. Does anybody know what pining means? We sing it. Oh, you do know. It means longing, an eager longing. Usually, sometimes a painfully long, eager longing. Um, pining. The world is pining. It's eagerly waiting for something. One of the other verses there says, the thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. And so while the earth is yearning and eagerly <clears throat> waiting for something on an unannounced, unnoticed day 2,000 years ago on Christmas morning, Jesus entered the world and brought a thrill of hope to our souls. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? Just think about the words the thrill of hope for a weary soul. And while this song was certainly written with Christmas morning in mind, it could very well have been written with Romans 8 in mind. In fact, if you have your Bibles, now would be a good time to turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 18 to 25 this morning. And we're going to be looking at the, some of the same themes of this song just spelled out in Romans chapter 8. That the world is 
weary and longing, and so are we. we. Romans chapter 8, as Pastor Vin said, is one of the greatest chapters. It's probably the greatest chapter in the entire Bible. And over the last few weeks, we've seen <clears throat> how we as children of God who are in Christ have such blessings, such a wonderful access to the Father, the fact that we have no condemnation, the fact that the Spirit lives in, in us, and, all of, and on and on, this treasure trove of blessings for those who, of us who are in Christ, all found in Romans chapter 8. And ultimately, we're going to see this morning that through faith, a Christian is bound by love and freed from the shackles of sin and death. And in fact, we who have hope hope for a, a future, hope for freedom, hope to be liberated from this body of death. We are going to have a hope because Romans chapter 8 is truly a beautiful song that starts to crescendo right here. In fact, it will reach its peak next week in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 in my opinion, but we're in this crescendo. It's building to that point. And what it's building to today is this thought that our present sufferings will give way to future glory that our present sufferings will give way to future glory. So before I start the message, can I just ask you to ponder this question? What are you hoping for? <clears throat> what are you hoping for? Are you hoping that the Lions will win today? Keep hoping. We'll hope. We'll, we'll continue. Are you hoping for some good news tomorrow? Are you hoping that your kids will do what they said they will do? What are you hoping for? I would submit to you that many of us are hoping for things here and now that are very short-lived, that bring short-term satisfaction, when in the light of Scripture we have so much more to be hopeful for than the here and now. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, that our, that our current suffering will give way to future glory. And we're going to read two things that are groaning today, two things that are in eager longing, living in eager expectation for something that is yet to come. Two things, and the first of those is creation. The creation groans in hope for its full restoration. Notice verse number 18. <clears throat> for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Verse 18 is the thesis sentence of, of this entire passage we're going to look at. And so the Apostle Paul here starts with the word for. And for pulls us back to verse number 17 that we looked at last week. And last week we saw in verse number 17 that you and I who are in Christ have been adopted into the family of God, that you and I are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you remember that? But verse number 17 ends with something that isn't so comfortable. Verse number 17 ends by saying that the path to this amazing, glorious inheritance is suffering. There isn't any rah-rah for that one, is there? Like, none of us want suffering, right? Amen? Pastor Vince, we're going to need a lot of prayer. Well, none of us want any suffering in our lives, amen? amen. <clears throat> yeah, that's what I thought. Come on now, wake up. You need more coffee. I think the cafe is still open. Um, we don't want any pain. I don't, I, let me just be, talk about me, for, no offense. I don't want any pain. I don't do well with pain. I don't like suffering. I don't like being in suffering. But the truth is we live in a world that is full of suffering. And the life of Jesus has taught us that the only way to the crown is through the cross. And so the pathway to the inheritance that God has for us in verse number 17 is on a road marked with suffering. That's not fun. 
That's not easy, but that is the truth. And but what Paul does here is he gives us some amazing news. You see, we as Christians, we have two types of suffering. We suffer simply because we are Christians. We have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As a result, there are some friends that will no longer be our friends. There will be some events that we no longer get invited to. There will be issues in our family because certain relationships will fall away within our own families because we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is part of what it looks like to be in Christ. When we have professed our faith in Christ, certain things will fall away. And that's suffering. But along with being a follower of Jesus Christ, we are human beings living in a world that is full of suffering, full of sickness, full of disease, full of natural disasters. And so in spite, in, in and with all of the suffering with Christ that we're doing, we live in a broken world in a broken body that is miserable. But what Paul says in verse number 18 is that we Christians, we don't deny suffering. We don't make suffering out to be something it is not. We embrace suffering. We recognize something, suffering. But what we do recognize is that while suffering is true and present and here and now, suffering is not the end. Amen? Suffering is not the end. What Paul says is that all of this suffering and all of this hardship and all of this pain that we're enduring today, it's all going to be worth it. That all of this is going to be worth it because there's a day coming when glory is going to happen, when glory is going to be revealed to us and in us. God's glory. How do you define God's glory? I define it as the sum total of his attributes, sum total of his being, the visible manifestation of his splendor and of his majesty. That day is coming when the glory of God is going to descend upon this world and all of our suffering, Paul says, won't compare to that day when that glory is going to be revealed. How about, are you, are you ready for that day, church? Amen. I can't wait. I really wish it would be like right now. No. Okay. No. Um, like, like now, I really literally would like it to be now. Okay, he's not listening. <laughs> but he's not, he is, but it's not in my timetable, is it? It's in his. All of the suffering won't compare to the glory that is yet to come. That's the thesis sentence for everything we're going to look at. But that day hasn't arrived yet, has it? And so until that day comes, we wait in eager longing. And so the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that through our suffering and through our hardship, we wait for that day where all of this is going to be worth it. And the Apostle Paul certainly knew what suffering was like, right? He's not writing this in a palace. He's writing this in a prison. He's shackled to some Roman soldiers. He is very intimately aware of what suffering looks like in his life. If you don't believe me, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He talks about the things that he has suffered in his body. He talks about being shipwrecked twice, being beaten five times with whips. He was stoned twice, not with drugs, but with rocks, right? He was hungry. He's been starved. He's been in prison. And then the list goes on and on. This is a man who is intimately aware of what suffering looks like. And so he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For this light momentary affliction... Now, wait a minute, Paul. That doesn't look like light and momentary. That looks painful and like a lot. But you see, he writes, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all 
comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are seen are eternal. You know why it's going to be worth it? Because everything that we have here and now, all of the goods and all of the bads and all of the ups and all of the downs, all of this is temporary compared to that day which is eternal. But the problem with most of us is we're comfortable where we're at. Yeah, there's pain. Yeah, things creak. Yeah, there may be a little suffering. But, you know, things are comfortable. I mean, we have a good life, don't we, church? Amen. We are certainly much better off than many other parts of the world. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. But that makes us happy and content. And so when we read about suffering and we read about future glory, we really can't wrap our minds around that beautiful, perfect time that's coming because, you know, life now is pretty good. Here's how C.S. Lewis put it in his book, The Weight of Glory. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of holiday at the sea. Is that us? Do we like making mud pies because it's fun? Because we don't understand what a holiday at sea looks like. Friends, this world is temporary. And so remember that everything here is one day going to be gone. But what's coming, that's eternal. That's going to last forever. That has no end. And so we've got to put this world in that perspective to truly see the beauty that is coming, that is going to be revealed for us. Amen? And so having established this thesis sentence that all of the suffering is going to be worth it because of this glory that is going to be revealed. Paul now takes a step forward and talks about this eager longing as it relates to creation. Notice verses 19 to 22. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul now focuses on creation, and he says, creation waits with eager longing. Eager longing, that phrase, it comes from a group of words that has this idea of stretching out our neck to look forward to something that's coming down the horizon. Perhaps you've taken a trip to another country, and you pass through immigration and you pick up your bags and then you pass through customs and you get to that big exit door and the door swishes open and what do you usually see? There's a crowd of people waiting outside, isn't there? Waiting and as soon as the doors open, what does every eyeball do? They look at you. Why? Because they're waiting for someone. That's what this word is. Creation is eagerly longing the door has opened and every neck is craning towards the door to see if you're the loved one they're waiting for. In fact, J.B. Phillips translates this verse so beautifully. He says, The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The whole creation is on tiptoe 
They're waiting in eager anticipation. For what? For the revealing of the sons of God. Who are those people? It's you and me. We are the children of God. It's waiting for you and I to be glorified. That's what it says, right? Creation is waiting for you and me to be fully and finally revealed in all of our glory, the glory that God is going to reveal on that day when he comes for us. That's what creation is waiting for. And so the so Bible says here that we are already children of God, but not yet have we been fully realized. You realize that, right? We live in this gap between the already and not yet. Already we are children of God, but we haven't yet fully realized that. Already we are redeemed, but that final full redemption is coming when Jesus comes back. You realize we're, we're living in this gap. And so creation's living, living here in this gap with us. And so it's waiting for that day when Jesus will come back and fully and finally reveal us to be who we are supposed to be. We're going to talk about that when we get to verse number 23. But why is creation longing and eagerly waiting and standing on tiptoe for all of this to happen? If you look what it says, it says it has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Futility has to be the most, one of the ugliest words in our language. Futility has the idea of being meaningless, useless, without success. In fact, this word is the same word that's translated in another book we, we looked at a couple of months ago called Ecclesiastes. Remember there was a word in that book? It was called what? Vanity. Oh, thank you for remembering. Van same word, vanity, futility, same word. Paul says creation has been subjected to vanity or uselessness or meaninglessness. Why? Why has creation been subjected to futility? You see, creation was created to be the amphitheater to display the glory of God. It was created so that all of this universe could give glory to God, but for whatever reason, it's broken. For whatever reason, it can't completely fulfill its calling to do what it was created to do. Something's wrong. Something's messed up. What's messed up? Well, the verb that Paul uses here is a passive verb. He says it is subjected to futility. It didn't want to be futile on its own. Something happened that caused it to become futile. And that something happened in Genesis chapter 3. You remember Adam and Eve were placed in a garden that was beautiful, that was perfect, and God placed them in the garden and said, you can eat whatever you want, you can go wherever you want, you can drink whatever river you want, except for one tree, don't eat from the fruit of that one tree, but everything else is fair game. You remember that story? And the only thing they could do was look at that one tree. And because they ate of that one tree, it wasn't just human beings that felt the impact of humanity's fall. All of the cosmos was impacted as well. Let me read for you Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Here's God laying down the consequences because of Adam's rebellion. He says to Adam, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat, it, eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust 
you shall return. You see, before the fall, before that single act of dis disobedience, all of creation worked in harmony. The, Adam and Eve didn't need to do anything except tend the garden. They didn't need to plant. They didn't need to water. They didn't need to weed. They didn't need to do anything. The, the ground willingly, gladly, graciously gave of its vegetation and its fruit to Adam and Eve. They just had to take and eat. Everything was beautiful. Everything was perfect. Everything lived in harmony until they took that fruit. And the moment they took that fruit and ate it and disobeyed God. Because of their sin, because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of your sin and mine, the ground was cursed. No longer will the ground just give up its vegetation. Instead of giving forth vegetation and fruit gladly, now the ground gives you weeds and thorns and thistles, and now we've got to work and sweat and labor in order to survive and make ends meet. Why? Because of the sin of Adam and Eve and the sin of you and me. Our sin cursed this world. It impacted the cosmos. And so the cosmos doesn't work right. The cosmos doesn't, isn't able to fulfill the purpose for which it was made. And so there's something broken in the cosmos and it was broken because of you and because of me. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. You see, what once was used to be marked by life and vitality is now marked by death and decay. Animals die. Trees die and rot. Rivers and mountains erode. All of it a result of the fall. Because you and I and Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we caused the creation to be subjected to futility. But you notice Paul says that that in that midst of futility, in the midst of all of that waiting, creation groans as it waits eagerly for the day that it will be set free from this futility. Creation is groaning. This is the first of three uses of groan in chapter 8. We're going to find that creation groans. In just a little bit, we're going to see that we are groaning. Next week, we're going to see that the spirit within us is groaning. And what is a groan? Groan's a sound that we make, isn't it? A sound that is audible but doesn't have any words attached to it usually, is there? It's when bad news comes. It's when we realize we need to do something unexpectedly, usually negative. It's the sound we make when we're distressed. Sometimes it's a sound when we're in pain. Have you made that sound? It goes something like... <sighs> Just me. That's oh, okay. Yeah, you've made it. If you're a mom, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That groan that comes from deep within because you can't believe what just happened. <laughs> that groan that comes because there's pain at what you've just heard. The Bible says creation groans. And that groan is an expression of dismay and pain because it didn't want to be futile. It didn't sin. It didn't commit anything wrong. But you and I, because of our sin, creation has been subjected to futility, and so it groans. So how does creation groan? Earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, famine, drought, 
and so on. The list goes on. All of these natural disasters is the evidence of an earth and a world that is groaning under the weight of our sin, a world that is groaning for a day to come, a world that is groaning with eager longing and expectation. And notice that Paul says here in verse number 22 that this world is groaning with hope. It's not a groan of hopelessness. It's a groan of hope. And he uses the expression of the pain's of childbirth to express the hope that creation has. Remember, pains of childbirth is one of the curses that God gave to Adam and Eve, remember? And so Paul pulls that out and he says, creation is groaning with the pains of childbirth. Why does he use that? Because childbirth has a different groan, right? The OB unit of a hospital has a different kind of groan than the hospice unit. One groan leads to life, the other does not. And if you, uh, I hear childbirth is painful. I mean, husbands have some parts to play, right? We've got to get ice chips and all the rest. Okay, don't throw anything at me. I'm just saying, you know, <clears throat> it's, it got, takes two to tango. But childbirth is painful. It's hard. But after childbirth is done and the doctor or the nurse places that infant into the mother's arms, what happened to that pain? It's just a memory. It's gone. Why? Because the gift of life sits in the hands of the mother and the pain isn't there anymore. And that's the picture Paul is painting for us with creation. All of creation is groaning in pains of childbirth with hope that one day all of this futility will come to an end, all of this brokenness will come to an end, all of this will be set free so that a new heaven and a new earth will take its place so that it can fulfill the purpose for which it was created. And that is to be an amphitheater for the glory of God. Amen? Creation is groaning for the day when it will find its full restoration. For creation isn't the only people groaning or thing groaning. Secondly, we find that God's people groan in hope of our full redemption. God's people groan in hope for our full redemption. Notice verses 23 to 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who are the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But, in, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So in the midst of a creation that is groaning, we see a groaning church. We groan. And Paul says here that those who are in Christ have the first fruits of the Spirit living within us. And we've already looked at some of the blessings that we have as children of God because the Spirit dwells within us. And that's what we've seen over the course of the last few weeks, if you've been here in Romans chapter 8. Because the Spirit is in us, we have the first fruits. And that, that phrase, first fruits, takes us back to the Old Testament where God told the Israelites that when harvest season comes, the first set of grains and vegetables and fruits that you take from your land, you are to give to me. And why is that? because it's an offering of thanksgiving because that, those first fruits are an indication of what is to come. If you're a farmer and you have apple trees in your, in your yard and, and in the beginning of harvest season you go and you see those, those trees and you see some apples hanging off the branches and you were to pick one 
and you were to bite into it. It's firm. It's delicious. It's juicy. It's wonderful. What does that tell you about the rest of your harvest? The best is yet to come. You see, that first bite of that first fruit was an indication. It's a foretaste of all that is yet to come. And so the Paul here in this passage says that the Holy Spirit is just an indication. It's just the first fruit. It's just a foretaste of all the blessings that we are yet to see when Jesus comes back for us. Amen? That's what we're waiting for. And so we have a foretaste because the Holy Spirit has already been given to us as a first fruit. And Paul says that we groan while we wait for the adoption as sons. And what are we waiting for? We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. That's what he says. We're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. You know, one of the sad things about the curse is that one day you and I, we will die. Our physical bodies will be buried and this physical body will turn to dust. But there's coming a day when the skies will split and a trumpet will bl- sound will blast through the skies. And the archangel's voice and the, trump- and the command of the Lord will sound. And all of a sudden, this dust that we are now will reconstitute itself. And out of this grave, we will come back. But not like we are now. That dust will get remade, and what was once mortal that went into the ground is going to be raised immortal. Amen? What once went into the ground sick is going to come out healthy. Amen? What once went into the ground with a whole bunch of wrinkles is going to come up perfect. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm going to look great. Oh, you don't believe it, do you? Folks, if you know your Bible, you are going to look like Christ. You are going to be perfect. If you believe that, look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm going to be perfect. Oh, yeah, okay. We'll see which of you is right. Friends, what is going to be raised isn't what went in. What went in was immortal, was mortal. What went in was sinful. What went in was sick. What went in was full of disease. What went in went in with suffering. But what comes out has nothing to do with any of that, does it? It's going to come out without sin. It's going to come out without any temptation to sin. (coughs) It's going to come out without wrinkles. It's going to come out without sickness. It's going to come without any propensity to sin. It's going to come out as a body that's going to choose holiness, that's going to choose purity, that's going to be fit to live with God and to live with him forever. Amen? And that's what we are going to have. We're going to have a body that is perfect, reforged, remade, reimagined, so that we can be perfectly made to glorify God forever. That's the day that's coming. Are you ready for that day? I can't wait. I really would love it to be right now. Ah. But until then, we groan. We groan with sickness. We groan with suffering. We groan because of the long shadow of sin across our lives. We groan at the prospect of death or the death of our loved ones. And we groan. This body continues to decay and waste away. The world continues to decay and waste away. And we together groan. But in verse number 24, Paul tells us that in this hope we were saved. Folks, we have hope. Hope, not earthly hope, but biblical hope. Do you know what the difference is? Earthly hope is a wishful, wistful, uncertain kind of hope. Let me explain it this way. This is how one pastor put it. 
it's a stereotypical, so, so be patient with me. I just give you that as a qualifier. If you go to a wedding with your family, little girls who are at the wedding, what do they notice? They notice the bride, and they notice the gown, and they notice the hair, and they notice the makeup, and the jewelry, and the pomp, and the circumstance, and all of that. And what do they think? One day I'm going to be a... Oh, okay. Is it okay to be stereotypical? And so little girls grow up wanting to be a bride. Little boys, they could care less. They want to get through the ceremony as fast as possible to get to eating cake. But little girls grow up hoping that one day I'm going to get married. And what do parents give them? They give them a little box of their stuff, and we call that box a, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, a hope chest. Why? That's earthly hope. One day, I hope to get married. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Earthly hope. But then one day, soon that little girl grows up to be a fine young woman. And onto the horizon of their life comes riding on a gallant, snorting stallion, Sir Knight. And there's bulging muscles on the stallion. And that Sir Knight scoops up that young lady and whispers into her ear, how about June 9th? And all of a sudden, everything changes, doesn't it? Earthly hope immediately becomes biblical hope. What made the difference? You see, now, because the date is in her ear, everything she does, every activity, every bit of her energy, every focus is on a day in the future when that hope will be realized. Church, do you realize the difference? We don't have earthly hope. We have biblical hope. Our hope is certain. Our hope is sure. Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Did Jesus leave? That means he's coming back. Amen? And that means just as he left, he's coming back and he's coming to take us to be with him, just like he said he would. That's biblical hope. You and I don't live in this world without hope. We live looking and longing and groaning for a day when he comes to take us home. But the problem is many of us, we like our hotel room. We decorate our hotel room. We remodel our hotel room. We like our hotel room. But guess what it will always be, church? It will always still be a hotel room. You were never meant to stay in the hotel room. You and I are meant for a different kind of room. There's a mansion in heaven being prepared by our Jesus that is coming where you and I will get mansions to live in to glorify him. We were never made to stay in our hotel room. Do you understand what I'm saying? We need to break out of our hotel room and start longing for the day when our Jesus we shall see. What a day that will be when our faith will be made sight, when reality will set in and this body that is so mortal and so sinful and so full of sickness is going to be clothed with his glory. I can't wait for that day, can you? Perhaps you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. And all of this hope that we've just talked about isn't for you. You don't have the assurance that when you die, you will be in the presence of the Lord. Can I encourage you today that this hope can be yours too? But it starts with saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I'm sorry for striving on my own. I'm sorry for the things that I have tried to do on my own. I accept the free gift of salvation that you have purchased for me on the cross of Calvary. And the Bible says the moment you confess him as Lord and you receive his free gift, you will be saved. And this hope becomes yours. 
this hope, this hope it becomes your reality. The future we've just talked about becomes your hope as well. But it starts with acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Won't you do that today? If you would and you want to know more, come see me, come see Pastor Vin, come see Pastor Loreno. We would love to introduce Jesus to you. But for those of you who do and know and love Jesus Christ, I'm so thankful for you. Know that we live in a sinful world, in a sinful, broken world, with a sinful, broken body. And so we groan. We groan with suffering. We groan with pain. We groan with disease. We groan looking forward to that day. Let me read the words of a song that I came across this week. <clears throat> Bringing my son home from school it was just on the radio, written by Jordan St. Cyr called Weary Traveler. The words go like this. Weary traveler, beat down from the storms that you have weathered. Feels like this road just might go on forever. Carry on. You keep on giving, but every day this world just keeps on taking. Your tired heart is on the edge of breaking. Carry on. No more searching. Heaven's healing's gonna find where all the hurt is. When Jesus calls, we'll lay down all our, heavenly, our heavy burdens. Carry on. Weary traveler, restless soul, you were never meant to walk this road alone. It'll all be worth it, so just hold on. Weary traveler, you won't be weary long. Weary traveler, you won't be weary long. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.